0: Since most of us are not hermits or monks, we have to deal with people. And there's two ways to deal with people. You can deal with people on the basis of accusation. Or you can deal with people on the basis of questions. Whenever you deal with an individual and you um, deal directly with them when it comes to accusations, when you just throw statements out there, what happens is you put that person on the defensive because they feel like they're being attacked and in all reality, they, they really may be. But the way to be able to better deal with people is to ask questions. It's interesting, if you study the life of Christ, you'll find that he asked a lot of questions, not because he didn't know the answer, but because he wanted people to think. He wanted people to question where their current position was and where they needed to be. I think about how the Lord questioned the woman at the well. He didn't come out to her and say, hey, you've lived a horrible lifestyle. What did he say to her? Hey, where's your husband? I I think about when the Lord was dealing with the 5,000 and the disciples um, came to him and he basically said to them, well, how much do we have? How much penny work do we have? How much food do we have? Do we have anything? And disciples are scrambling around. And he used questions to be able to teach a lesson. And, and, and what happens is many times when we ask questions, it helps people see things from a different vantage point. When you ask questions, it it challenges people's ideas. It challenges their thoughts and perceptions. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul asks five very penetrating questions. And he's doing this to drive home the truth that a believer's eternal salvation is completely secure in Christ that there is no condemnation for the believer. And he's asking these questions at the end of everything that he's stated to be able to once again reinforce to the believer that you're more than a conqueror because of Christ. You don't have to live underneath condemnation because of Christ. Don't let Satan use that in your life to discourage you. And what we learn for Uh, for us as believers from these questions is because we can feel condemned at times, because we can uh, many times question things in Christianity that we don't have, that, that because of this, there is no reason for us to fear. There's no reason for us to not live as more than conquerors. There's no reason for us to feel condemned. See, every believer in here this morning, whether you feel like it or not, You are more than a conqueror since God is for you. And Paul gives us five questions that we're confronted with to prove, once again, that we're more than conquerors. I want you to take a look with me, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The first question that he asks, he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? If, in this, in this verse, is not a question whether God will be for a believer or not. He's not he's, that's not the way he's using this word if. He's not saying, well, if God be for you. No. It's not whether God will be for a believer or not. He's using the word if, in this instance, since it is so. So we could read the verse this way. What shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to turn over to Psalm 118, if you will, please. Psalm 118. And see that God is for the believer. So if you know Christ as your personal Savior, God is for you I want you to hold on to that you write that down somewhere God is for you in Psalm 118 verse 6 what does the Bible say the Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do unto me It didn't say the Lord is on my side if I don't ever do anything wrong. It didn't say the Lord is on my side if I keep all the rules. It didn't say the Lord is on my side if I am the perfect Christian. And by the way, there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. That is an oxymoron. That doesn't mean that we should sin and live any way that we want. But the point is... That God is for us. Turn over to Psalm chapter 27. I want you to see it here again. Psalm chapter 27. In verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When my enemies... Uh, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should be encamped against me, I will not fear. Why? Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. How do I know he's for me? Take a look at verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. See, the fact is that God is for the believer. I'm glad that the Bible does not say in in our text here, who is against us? It doesn't say that. It says who can be against us. Because if the Bible said who is against us, there would be a large number of responses. I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Letter A. You have a foe. If God can be, uh, if God before us, who can be against us? You do have foes. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, we see this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Sounds like a foe. Or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? They sound like foes, do they not? There's also the unbelieving world, is it not? That's opposed to to Christianity, to what we stand for. There's also the foe of indwelling sin in our, in our life that opposes us. There's also the foe, the death that, that is, is the enemy, though defeated, not yet destroyed. There's also the foe of the accuser of the brethren, the devil, who's seeking he, whom he may destroy. There's also the devil in all the principalities and bowers of darkness, which are mentioned in Romans 8.38. So, it's not that we don't, have, we don't have something against us, but the point is, who can be against us? In light of all that, it's really as if no one is against us. Why? Because God is for us. See, it's not that we don't have foes this morning, friends, but those foes have to answer to our friend. Let her be. You have a father. You have a father. The Bible tells us that we have a God in heaven who is for us. The word for in this passage of Scripture means that God is on our side. I want you to remember this. He's for us. And now right underneath that, if you've written that down, he's for us. But then that God is acting on your behalf. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That God is acting on your behalf. Now what's your behalf? It is for his glory and your good. So God is always acting for your good on your behalf. What Paul is saying is that because we have this father, there's no legal charge that can be brought against us in judgment. As a judge, he's satisfied. And as a father, he loves us. The fact is that though there are many things against us in this present world, in this present moment, no one can harm us in the ultimate sense. Nothing. Though we may experience opposition, and we may experience opposition on every side, nothing can endanger our salvation. We have nothing to fear. Why? Because we all will have victory one day. We have a father that loves us, we have a father that protects us, and it does not matter who is against us because he is for us. And the truth is that the opposition that is working against us, we have a good, good father that will use it to work it out for our good. So everything that's working against you, because we do have opposition, God will use that. Why? Because he is for us. He is working on our behalf. So he can take all that that the forces of hell are working against you, and he can make it and turn it into something good. Now that's a good God. If God be for us, (laughs) who can be against us? with the creator of all the universe being for us all other oppositions even all the powers of hell that could oppose us can never prevail listen friend if you know Christ you're your personal savior and this auditorium split wide open and all the forces of hell came out to attack you and to try and oppose you and to try and destroy you. If you are in Christ, though life may cease in your body, you will be victorious because of him. If God before us, Paul says, who can be against us? So you know what that does? That gives us hope. Why? Why does it give us hope? In the midst of circumstances that seem unbearable, we've got a God who is working for us. And though we may never see victory this side of heaven, we're one day guaranteed victory. It's a guarantee. The game is over. We've won because of Christ. So every believer is a conqueror since God is for us. But secondly, the second question I see. Take a look here. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Take a look at verse 32. So the first question is, if God be for us, who can be against us? The second question that Paul asks is, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 32. He that spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all. how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is an argument, or this is a logic that Paul uses, and I, I've described this to you before, but I'm going to give it to you again. It's called a fortieri. It's a logical argument. That's exactly what Paul is using here. It's a Latin word that means from the stronger. You may not know the term, but you know the argument. The official term, like I said, is a fortiori. You may, you may have never heard of that, and that's okay. But you do know the argument. It would be like this. You go and say you have a child in your house, and you tell your child to go to the neighbors, and you say... Ask, ask neighbor Smith, Mr. Smith, to uh, if you can borrow if we can borrow his screwdriver. And your child looks at you and says, "Well, what if Mr. Smith says no?" You look at your child and you say to them, "I know that the neighbor will not say no because yesterday he allowed me to borrow his car all day." So since he allowed me, the argument is, since he allowed the greater, he's going to uh, do the lesser. Because the neighbor allowed you to borrow his car, the greater, he's going to give you the lesser, the screwdriver. And I want you to see how you can rest assured that we're more than conquerors from this question. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How can we be sure that God will supply all of our needs? It says he'll freely give us all things. How can we be sure of that? You know what he does? He points us directly back to the cross. He says God's given us his son. He spared not his own son. If it was possible for God to have an obstacle, which it's impossible. But if it was possible for God to have a hindrance, but it's impossible. But from a human standpoint, this is the only way we can really describe it. If it was possible, if there was the biggest hurdle in heaven that God had to get over, and he doesn't. And so I don't want you to think I'm being sacrilegious or I'm just trying to explain this to you. The greatest hurdle that God would have to get over would be giving up his own son for a world that hated him. And the point is, since God has done that, the greatest hurdle, if you will, the greatest obstacle, the greatest problem, since he's done that, he's done the greater, then can he not provide for your needs? Take a look, if you will, in Genesis chapter 22. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. (coughs) God gave us his son. He didn't spare his son. And the reason that he gave us his son is so that we can have salvation. And we can have a relationship with him. I want you to take a look here. We see first letter A. You can write this down. The supreme gift. The supreme gift. In Genesis chapter 22. Take a look at verse 12. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. This is God talking to Abraham. Neither do thou anything unto him. For I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. The word spared in our text is the same word withheld in the Greek text of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, but then it's been also translated into the Greek, which is called the Septuagint. Okay? And the same Greek word that Paul used, spared, is the same Greek word that's used in the translation uh, into the Greek of the Old Testament, withheld there. God said to Abraham, You have not withheld your son. But this is, this is where the, the story takes a turn. But he tells his son, he tells Abraham to spare his son, to spare Isaac, and to offer a ram as a substitute. So the contrast here is showing what Abraham was willing to give up. The heartbreak that he had, he was willing to give up his son for God, but God said, no, you spare your son. What I'm going to do, you're not going to give up your son for me. I'm going to give up my son for you. And God didn't spare his son, the Bible tells us. Instead, Jesus was and is the sacrifice for our sins. John the Baptist said, in John chapter 1 and verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God handed over his son to die for us. This morning some might say, Well, I thought that Judas handed over Jesus. Others might say, I thought Pilate handed over Jesus or Herod or the mob handed over Jesus or that we handed over Jesus or did not Jesus as the scripture tells us hand over himself the answer to all these questions is yes but Paul in this verse he's drilling past all that past all these other facts to the fact that God himself handed over his son for you and for me so if he was willing to hand over his son to be able to supply our need of salvation, he is willing to meet every one of our needs. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23 proves this. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken him by wicked hands, crucified and slain. See, friend, there's nothing greater that God could have given to humanity than a son to die in our place and for our sins. Listen, we can't save ourselves. You and I, we can't do enough good. We can't purchase our own redemption. And it was God who gave the supreme gift of all in Jesus to save us from ourselves and from our sin. Listen, nothing greater or harder has ever happened or will ever happen. But since God's given us a son, he's also given us other things. I want you to see not only the supreme gift, but let be. B, I want you to see the scope of the gift. The scope of the gift. Jesus, as I mentioned, Jesus Christ is the supreme gift. He is the ultimate gift since God has given us Christ. He's also going to give us all things. Who sh- how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? <clears throat> this is a promise for those who know Christ. excuse me, but all things is not a promise. All things is not a promise of a trouble-free life. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 36. Romans chapter 8 and verse 36. We see The supreme gift, we also see the scope of the gift. How shall I not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, 36, as written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You say, well, then, Pastor, what does all things mean? If he's willing to give us all things, well, you might want to write this down. That all things work together for our good. Verse 28, that's all things. That we'll be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 29, that's all things. That we will be glorified in verse 30. That's all things. That there is no opposition that will be successful against us. That's all things in verse 31. That there's no accusation that will stick against us in verse 33. That's all things. That there is no condemnation for us. Verse 34. That's all things. There's no tribulation that can separate me from the love of God. Verses 35 through 39. That's all things. Not only this. Not only all these things. But it also means that we will receive all the spiritual and material blessings we need to progress in sanctification. I want you to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because God has delivered up his son, I can rest assured that all the other promises. Now listen. All the other promises in the Bible are yes and amen. Because God delivered up his son, I can rest assured that all the other promises in the Bible are yes and amen. Take a look in 1st 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. 1st 1 Corinthians 1:20 1 For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. I can count on the fact that since God gave up the greater, His Son, for me and for you, He will also give me the lesser, all the promises. He's going to give me everything that I need for sanctification to be conformed into His image. See, listen, friend, this, I want you to write this down if you would. The cross guarantees, the cross guarantees continuing unfailing fulfillment of every promise of God. The cross guarantees the continuing, unfailing fulfillment of every promise of God. And since God is for us, we're more than conquerors because he's for us and because he delivered up his son. But take a look also the third question. Who will bring any charge against God's children? Verse uh, chapter 8 and verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Paul's bringing our attention once again to a court of law. First, I want you to see the accusation. The accusation, letter A, if you're taking notes. There are many accusations that could be raised against us. Could there not? Take a look at 1 John chapter uh, 3, if you would please. 1 John chapter 3. There are many voices that could be raised in accusation against us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You know what? Our Our own conscience accuses us, does it not? Our own conscience accuses us. But the Bible tells us, Paul's saying, who's going to bring any charge against you? You child of God. You're a child of God. No one can bring a charge against you. I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 12 because we find that the devil is continually accusing us. Do you realize that his name means slanderer? His name means slanderer. He's continually accusing us. You know what else the Bible tells us about the devil? That he is the father of lies. Let me ask you a question. Why is it so easy for us to believe lies and so hard for us to believe truth? It's so easy for us to believe the lies of Satan and it's so much harder for us to believe the truth of God's word. God's not going to take care of you. Man, if you do that, the you're you're bottom's going to fall out on you. You can't claim that promise. That's not for you because you haven't been a good enough Christian. Don't you realize the way you acted last week? And therefore, oh man, God's. And what do we do? We believe all these things, and we go back to the Word of God and we say, Man, I know what the Bible says, but man, this is the way that I feel. Remember what's the whole, whole point of this passage? We are we are focusing not on our condition, but we are focusing on our position. Not condition, but position. Amen. One of the greatest weapons that the devil uses against us is to accuse us. Amen. Romans chapter 12, if you will, and verse 10. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 12. I'm sorry, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren... Is cast down, which accuse them before our God day and night. You know it's saying about Satan, not only does he accuse us, but he accuses us before the Father. But guess what? None of those accusations stick. Why? Because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. I love it that it says the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Is cast down. You know what? There are also others who would accuse us and they would delight in pointing the finger against us. But the key is, though there be many accusations against all of us, none of these accusations will stick. They all fall to the ground. The reason that these accusations will not stand is because letter B, the justifier... The reason that these accusations will not stand is not because of us. Because let's, let's think about it. Could we not think of things in our past that we've done that are true, that are against the Word of God? Have we not lied at one time or another? Could not Satan say to God, hey, he's a liar? Have we not thought impure thoughts at one time or another? Say he's or she or whoever. They're they're lusting. Have we not had wrong motives and been envious towards one another or coveted something from somebody else? Hey, they're a covetous person. All those accusations are true about us. Oh, it's not that Satan is is going to the Father and making up lies about us. He doesn't have to make up lies about us because that's what we were before Christ. But we've got a justifier, and once we're in Christ, he may still come and accuse us. But you know what God the Father says to, to Satan is, hey, the only thing that I see in George Riddell is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that covers him from head to toe. He's justified. He's clothed in my righteousness. He is no longer that. He's saved. He's sanctified. He's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He's got a new position. This was his old position. Yes, he was a liar and he had wrong motives. And he, and you can accuse him of all these things. Yes, that is what he was. But my friends, this morning, I'm no longer that. If you're in Christ, you're no longer that. You are in Christ and this is your new position. Amen. He's going to the judge. He's going to the, the accuser's going to the highest court. And he's going to the highest judge, the judge of all the universe. And the judge is standing there, As Satan walks into the courtroom of heaven and starts hurling these accusations about me and about you to God, the judge, the great God of heaven, takes his gavel and says, not guilty. And he throws another accusations down and he says, not guilty. And Satan hurls some more at him and he says, not guilty. And Satan says, well, what basis do you have for saying, judge, that he's not guilty? And he says, Jesus, stand up. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the justifier of all the brethren. Since God's approved me, I need no other approval. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 8 and 9. The Old Testament puts it this way. He is near that justifieth me will contend with me let us stand together who is mine adversary let him come near behold the Lord God will help me who is he that condemneth me lo they shall wax old as a garment the moth shall eat them up what this means is that because of God we are now in right standing with him because of himself who will bring any charge against the children of God Every believer this morning is more than a conqueror because God is for us, because he's delivered up his son, and because no accusation can stand against us. There's no charge. But my friend, if you don't know Christ as your personal savior, as I've just read many verses that tell the believer their standing, can I tell you what the Bible says about your standing? So many times people talk about, well, I, I, I might go to hell because I, my good hasn't way, outweighed my, my bad. And, and you talk about future wrath. You talk about future judgment. Can I tell you this morning that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, it's not only future judgment or wrath that you're under. The Bible says that you are already under wrath. You are already under condemnation. You're already in that state. Just like I'm in the state of being a saint and I've got a new position in Christ, guess what? Your position is currently underneath the wrath of God. You said, Pastor, why would you say that? That's not very encouraging. Would you rather me lie to you? We're talking about your eternal destiny, friend. See, these things are only true for the believer. See, in one day, if you die without Christ, you're going to stand before Almighty God. And if he were to ask you, I don't know if he's going to ask you this. No one knows this, but if he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? If you were to say, if he, if you were to, say to him, well, I'm not a murderer like some other people, he would look at you and say, yes, you are. What do you mean? I've never murdered anybody. It was your sin that placed my son on the cross. If you were to say to him, well, I was faithful to my mate. He said, no, you weren't. I'm not like those other people that run around, that type of thing. No, you were. Oh, you might not have done it physically. But what about in your mind? Well, I, I, I never lied. Oh, really? You never lied? No, I've, I've never lied. But you're still a liar. Well, why? Because you didn't accept the truth of the gospel. So you held on to lies instead of believing truth. Oh, and by the way, as God would be looking at you, if you didn't do any of those things, you never committed one sin. You still can't come into my heaven. but, but God, but why? Because it was in sin that your mother conceived you. Oh, what do you mean? Sin doesn't make you a sinner. It's your nature. You were born in sin. See, my friend, it's not whether your good outweighs your bad. You can't find that in Scripture. It's whether you've accepted the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, and if you will today, all these things can be true of you. You can be more than a conqueror. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living like you're more than a conqueror? Are you living like you've been conquered? I didn't say that there's not tears at times. I didn't say that there wasn't disappointment. But are you living underneath that Burden that circumstance instead of living above it because you are more than a conqueror. I want you to think about how you have lived your Christian life and how you can live your Christian life. if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior this morning in a few minutes I'm going to ask you to come forward we ask Christians and non-Christians like to come forward and if you'd like to know Christ as your personal Savior we've got people that can take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you're not going to be condemned how you know for sure that there's no accusation that'll ever stick. How do you know for sure that God will meet every one of your needs? Because of his son, Jesus.